Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, na'hamaduhu wa nusalli ala rasulihil kareem amma ba'd. We express our praise and gratitude to Allah Ta'ala, we seek blessings on the Prophet, peace be upon him. And we're just going through uh, the first juz, the first para of the Qur'an with just various questions. Alright, far away. Okay, so I didn't have any questions with Fatiha, with Surah yeah. Fatiha, but um, Surah Al-Baqarah, I started with Ayah 2. Yeah. So it says, so it's just so why does it say that it's a guidance to those who fear Allah? Why isn't it to mankind? Mm-hmm. Good question. So you, you can read this a couple of ways. <coughs> so uh, first, taqwa. I don't like the translation of taqwa as fear of Allah, um, although it's not wrong. I like the translation of shielding themselves with Allah, because the root word of taqwa, waqa or yaqi, relates to shielding yourself. Okay. And so this is an interesting point. So it's guidance for those of people who already have taqwa. Okay. So the question becomes, what if I don't have taqwa? Yeah. And so this surah is also a manual on how to get taqwa. So it'll say, do this, la'allakum tattaqoon. Do this, la'allakum tattaqoon. Do this, la'allakum tattaqoon. So la'allakum tattaqoon is perhaps you may get taqwa. So at one level, this is guidance on how to get taqwa. And then for those people who have taqwa, the actual guidance of the Qur'an. Okay. Yeah. And then, so for ayah 6 and 7, yeah. so, so it says that khatam Allah ala khudubihim ala sama'ihim. So, if, so the ayah before it says like whether or not you like yeah. talk to them, they're not going to believe. So, and then Allah sealed their hearts. So why doesn't Allah open their so here, so one important point here is that when we're reading the Quran, at one level we're going to look at the words and what they mean, right? And we also have to include what we know about the life of the Prophet, peace be upon him. Were there kafirs at the life of the, uh, in the time of the Prophet, peace be upon him, who then became Muslim? Yes or no? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. A lot of them. There were Muslims who fought against the Prophet, peace be upon him, and then eventually became Muslim. There were Muslim, you know, Omar as we know, is getting ready to do the worst possible thing, kill the Prophet, peace be upon him, and he became Muslim. So here in Ayah 6 and 7, we're talking about people who are sealed off. And so there are some kafirs, people who reject, who then eventually believe. There are some kafirs who reject, believe, and then reject and believe. Here, what we're talking about are people who have reached a point of no return. So there are going to be some people who reach a point of no return in their kufr. And so, even the Prophet himself, peace be upon him, can warn them or not warn them, it's all the same to them. You know, sawa'un alayhim. It's all the same to them. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, so, for most everyone else, the door is always open. But so, these people are sealed off. So, I guess my question is, why does it say that God sealed their hearts? Why, why isn't it that, like, oh, they did this to, to themselves? Well, what's, uh, what's the beginning of Ayah 6? In the ladina kafaru. How would you translate that? And those who disbelieved. Or those who rejected. Yeah. So they rejected. Right? Okay. And so they have done something. Okay, and for Ayah 9, it says um, that basically they're not fooling anyone but themselves, but they don't feel it. Yeah. So how do you know if you're one of those people or like how... How can you fix that if they don't yeah. even know that they're doing anything? So yeah, here we're talking about nifaq, hypocrisy, and over and over again it says, وَمَا يَشْعُرُونَ And then again in Ayah 11, or Ayah 12, 
وَلَا يَشْعُرُونَ And then in Ayah 13, وَلَا لَا يَعْلَمُونَ Right? So, it's saying that when you are in nifaq, you don't realize it. So what should you do? You should always be concerned about nifaq. And those are the examples that I always give. You know, Umar being concerned about nifaq, Abu Bakr being concerned about nifaq. And Abu Bakr is especially interesting, and I think Omar, isn't Omar also one of the Ashara Mubashara? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, right, right, nice, mashallah. So these are people who are guaranteed paradise, and they're still concerned about, about nifaq. And so the point is that every believer should be concerned about nifaq. Does that make sense? Yeah, so how do you, what steps, steps do you take to avoid so some of this would be to do the opposite of what we find in Ayahs 8 through 16. So I attend, they lie. So be firm about telling the truth, even if it's bitter. Ayah mm-hmm. 11 and 12, they, they deflect criticism when it's said to them, do, uh, do not make mischief. They say, we're only reforming. So anytime anyone, anyone at all gives you criticism, consider it to be constructive criticism. Yeah. Right? Um, it doesn't mean you have to agree with it, but you should consider it. Right, and then ayah thirteen, um, when it said to them, "Believe as the people believe," they say, "Shall we believe as the fools believe?" Um, and so there are two aspects here. One is that these people are arrogant, and another is that they devalue the community. So you should always value the community, right? And that will also be a tool to help prevent you from becoming arrogant. And then the last one is that they're two-faced, and so here you should be consistent in your behavior, right? Mm-hmm. And there's many, many other attributes in, in the Quran of, of hypo- hypocrites. And so as you see those, do the opposite of what a hypocrite does. Okay. But the key thing in all of this is to be concerned about being a hypocrite. And what's also common among all the attributes of hypocrisy, you always see something mentioned about what they're saying. They lie. They say, you know, we're only reformers. Shall we believe as the fools believe? We're actually with you. We're making fun of them. So take control of your tongue. Okay, so for Ayah 10 then, um, about that regarding the sickness in their hearts, I'm assuming it's since they, again, like, since they already rejected, mm-hmm. then like, so it's like they did it to themselves. So yeah, so... It adds on to it. Yeah, so Ayah 6 and 7 is about kafirs. Do you want to go sit over there? Is it easy? Okay. Ayah 6 and 7 is about kafirs. Those are sealed off. And then 8 through 16 is about monophics, and they have a disease in their heart. They have heart disease, right? A spiritual heart disease. And so what happens is that when you don't realize you're diseased, your behavior is going to stay the same way. And so the disease is going to spread. So I guess my question is that, so, but why does it always include, like, Allah adding to it? Why mm-hmm. is it, like, you know, if Allah, like, Allah is merciful, mm-hmm. then even if he, like, doesn't cure it, why mm-hmm. is it saying that he'll add on? Yeah, so the mercy aspect is that he leaves the door open for you to turn around. Okay. So. But then if he is adding to the disease in the hearts, how is that keeping the door open? So, so on the one hand, your heart disease is increasing. But it may be that Allah Ta'ala will send people to you to straighten you out, because look at every single situation. 
Uh, 8 through 10, they're put in the company of believers, right? Mm-hmm. I 11, they're being told, don't do this. And then I 13, they're being advised, be with the believers, right? So they keep receiving advice. Okay. And so ultimately, at some point, you will be making your own choice. Yeah. So basically for 28, um, he's talking about, you know, how do you disbelieve in Allah when you were dead and then he brought you back to life and then he made you die again and he brought you back to life. But that's something that we can't see. So it's basically like, I guess, you have to take like, you have to have faith that that actually happened and that will happen. Mm-hmm. So how is he talking to the people that don't have faith about something that people have to have? So um, stop right with the part that you're going to die. Okay. Okay. So, uh, how can you reject Allah? So you were dead, and then you're brought back to life, and then it will make you die. Yeah. Okay. So one way to think about this is, you're going to die. Yeah. Why wouldn't you believe? So, you know, are you familiar with Pascal's wager? Mm-hmm. So Pascal is this, uh, he wasn't really very friendly with Islam, but he, he makes this good point um, that, all right, Either there's a God or there isn't, okay? So if I believe in God and do whatever I'm supposed to do, and there is a God, then I have success on the other side, okay? Yeah. If I, do, if I believe in God and do whatever I'm supposed to do, and then I find out there's no God, I didn't lose anything because I died, right? Okay. Now, if there is a God and I don't believe, then I'm in trouble on the other side. And if uh, there isn't a God and I don't believe, then I didn't lose anything. Right? Mm-hmm. So the point is that of all your choices, you're going to die. So if I say there's no God, no day of judgment, then it just means I'm going to be fertilizer at some point. So what do I have to lose by living in an upright way? So a way to think about this is that he will make you die and he will bring you to life. Right? So you may not believe in that last, last part, mm-hmm. okay? but you know you're going to die. Okay. So it's basically a simple logical argument after all these other things that came earlier. Like if you have doubt about what we have revealed, then bring a surah, mm-hmm. right? But the most simple argument is, okay, you're gonna die. What's the, what, why live a different way? Okay. And it's not like, you know, Dean is calling you to live in some bizarre way. He's calling you to be upright. Okay. Yeah. Um, that makes sense? Yeah, it does. Mm-hmm. Um, so for Ayah 30, mm-hmm. so um, talks about um, you know, and that when Allah decides to create mankind, and then the angels ask, like, why would He want corrupt? Mm-hmm. Like, why would He create people that cause corruption? Mm-hmm. Um, and then He says that I, like, I know what you don't know. Uh-huh. Okay, do we now know why He created us? So why He created us? I mean, to worship Him. Yeah. Yeah, but like. So the way to think about why are the, the angels, angels asking this him. question? Well, why are the angels asking this question? Because we're like corrupt and we're not gonna obey God. Even simpler than that, before even looking at what the creation is. Curious? Because they are looking at themselves and saying, okay, you've already made us to obey you and praise you. We don't understand why you need to create something else. Yeah, so right? why? So even if you're going to create something better, we already do everything. Yeah, yeah. so why would he create? He doesn't need us. So why? He doesn't need angels either, right? Okay. 
Okay. And so, so yeah, he created us. What is the real answer? Because he chose to do so, okay. right? But what is superior about us over angels is what? Free will. Uh, even simpler, it's in the next few ayahs. That we know things. That we've been given knowledge that they haven't been given. Okay. Right. And so, yeah. But then Adam taught, taught them the knowledge that he had. So he shared with it. Yeah, but, so now they know. But that assumes that, you know, uh, Adam al-Islam or humanity is not going to get any other knowledge. Right? Because yeah. the end of this section, Ayah 39, is, you know, when guidance comes to me, then follow it. Whoever follows it, then you have no fear, nor shall I grieve. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, but ultimately the real answer is because he didn't need to create us. He didn't need to create the earth. He didn't need to create angels, but this is the system he chose to set up. Yeah. Um, okay, I had 35, or it's just that story, I guess. Yeah. So did, did Adam physically see God? Good question. So, so does Adam and Islam physically see God? It seems as though he does. Okay. Right. So I guess my question is, for both Adam and Iblis, if, if they saw God, or like, and they, like, it's not that they had any, yeah. like, weakness in faith. Like, they, they had complete faith that yeah. God was there. Yeah. So, how could they disobey? Okay, Adam, like, yeah, he, like, sought forgiveness, but it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, Ib- Iblis's flaw was arrogance, but at the same time, like, the basics of, mm-hmm. like, you just want to survive. Like, yeah. you don't want to be punished. And he knew that he was going to get punished, so, like, arrogance can't mm-hmm. trump the want, like, the, the need to not burn, basically. Well, that's the point. Arrogance can. But, like, he, he sighs. Because, like, yeah. you know, for, like, the humans, at least, like, it's like, oh, like, arrogance will trump, trump whatever, like, mm-hmm. you don't want to burn, because you don't, You've never seen it. You've never like saw yeah. that. So I guess it's not as real. Sure. But they did. Yeah. So shouldn't it like make? Should it? It should, right? But it think of make sense. think of the Quraysh, right? The Quraysh would listen to the Quran, and they would say this could not have been written by a person, and still they're saying no, right? But they lived in the heavens, like Adam and Eve. Yeah. yeah. So like, meaning like, no one is going to appreciate the grandeur of the Quran like the people of Mecca at the time of the Prophet, peace be upon him. And they don't have just the Qur'an, they have Rasulullah himself, sallallahu alayhi wa right? Yeah. And still, they're saying no, right? And so, so the point is that, yeah, in that case, they have the Qur'an, not just in their own language, not just in their own dialect, but even in their own context, and they have the best possible da'i, right? You know, in history. Yeah. And still they're saying no. And then you're saying, well, okay, here they're seeing Allah. And I'm saying it's the same point. That's the power of arrogance. But like, Maslow, my Maslow. Maslow. Yeah, that dude. His, like, pyramid story, like, the yeah. basic thing is, like, survival. Yeah. So it's, like, just, just not going to hell, basically. Like, and, yeah. how- and we would suggest that uh, arrogance is one of those things where someone might even be willing to endanger themselves rather than let go of arrogance. So Maslow's hierarchy of needs works if we're just talking about a normal person. But if we're talking about somebody who's hiding behind arrogance, they might even be willing to destroy themselves to hold on to their arrogance. Like even to burn into eternity when they believe full yeah. on that there's eternity. Isn't that scary? It doesn't make sense. I mean, at least could today ask for forgiveness, he's still not. You know? That's the, that's the, the fascinating thing about, about our nature. I mean, at least not even human, but this type of nature that Alatel has given us. Um, okay, I, uh, so for the rest of the story, why did 
Allah put Adam in the heavens, he was planning on putting him in the earth. So a couple ways to look at this. If we go with the assumption that um, that they're sent to earth because they went to the tree, then that's why. Right? Okay, so two ways to read the story of the tree. Uh, one way to read the story of the tree is they went to the tree, they weren't supposed to, and now that started a process where they get kicked out. Okay. The other way is they went to the tree and they weren't supposed to, and now they're ready to go to earth. Okay. See the difference? No. Okay. Both cases they go to the tree. Yeah. In both cases they ask for forgiveness. Yeah. In both cases they're forgiven. Yeah. But in the first case we're saying they started a process where they have to, they're getting kicked out of paradise now. But like Allah created the earth before he created Adam. Mm -hmm. So doesn't that imply that like he was planning on like kicking out? Or that he knew it was going to happen. Or he knew it was going to happen, okay. but it's like, okay, if, well, then why would you, like why was... Yeah. Why did he start on earth? Like, why did sure. he start on earth? Sure. Sure. So, so the way to look at it is, what was the point of the exercise with the tree? What would you say? Kind of to show that, I guess, humans will make mm -hmm. mistakes. And, and then will, do what? And well, they will forgive you. And then seek forgiveness. forgiveness. Yeah. So, in both cases, you can say the exercise of the tree is sort of their training. Okay. Meaning, you will fall short, so you should ask for forgiveness when you do, and get back on the path. And that's Shaitan's flaw. He never asked for forgiveness. Think of how amazing Shaitan could be. He could take us all to hell and then repent. I mean, Bor, yeah, I mean, he could do that, but I mean, I'm saying that he could straighten himself out and lead everybody to Jannah. Oh, he didn't want to. Yeah, but he's not going to. And he even knows he can do that. But his gibber, his arrogance is so great. And it's like set in the Quran that he is going to go to hell, right? Right. Like he's, there's no chance he might. He's, he's going to go to hell. And in hell, all these people are going to be upset with him. You made us do this. And he's going to say, I didn't make you do anything. You know I, I don't keep my promises. Right. And elsewhere in the Quran, he blames Allah. You know, because you made this happen to me, I'm going to sit on the straight path and take down your true believers. And I'm going to ambush them. He's saying that to Allah, right? <laughs> yeah. uh, so, okay, for Ayah 42, can you explain that Ayah 42 is not the truth? So, it's like, can you give an example of and so all these instructions are basically saying, okay, complete your deen, which means embrace the Prophet, peace be upon him, and don't sell this off for a small price, okay, for a small gain. And one way to sell it off is to say, yeah, there's some truth in it, but, you know, what you have is better, right? So don't mix up the truth with falsehood. So it's over, over here it's saying, like, you know, to, like, make... To like what's wrong to make it seem like it's right, and it's like, yeah. and, but it ends with وَأَنْتُمْ تَعْلَمُونَ. So they're aware that they're. Yeah. Yeah, because what you're gonna see, maybe uh, have you completed reading through um, the first juz? Yeah. So near the end of the first juz, there's an ayah that basically says Okay. So they recognize him or the Quran as they recognize their own sons, 
And the last part is that they, but the, some people still will not believe or still hide the truth. And is that because of arrogance as well? You can say it's because of arrogance or lack of trust in Allah. So there's some people who teach the deen who believe it, right? Yeah. There's other people who teach the deen where it doesn't even get into their heart. Because that's what comes a little bit later, right? You know, are you teaching other people to, to be upright, but you're forgetting yourselves? So where does the lack of trust come from? Uh, it usually means you're not practicing what you're being taught. Okay. Yeah. Because if you're not practicing what you're being taught, then you're just a donkey carrying books. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Ayah 44, it says to yeah. So, how do you with patience? Like, don't you need patience to with yeah. God? So, with Salah, you need, you need seek help from Salah and seek help from Sabr. But how are you going to seek help with Salah if you're not praying? So you're going to need help from Allah just to be able to pray. Yeah. But once you start praying, this is a function for prayer. Likewise with Sabr. So Salah, okay, yeah, Salah, I get it, because it's like when you want something from Allah, you go and you talk to Him, so you pray. Okay. But with Sabr, how, like, Same thing. so you just have patience? So you basically, you resist rebelling. So like the way you get up to pray, you just... Yeah, I mean, so yeah, so one way to do this is that, all right, when you wake up for Fajr, you're resisting your desire to sleep. Yeah. And one way to develop sabr is you resist your desire to seek revenge or to, you know, behave inappropriately, right? Okay. Or once you start developing salah, then you seek help in salah to develop sabr. Right? Yeah, see that? I get, like, I can get, like, if you're praying, then you can get patience because you've come closer yeah. to God. Yeah, so basically start with one of those. Because yeah. Salah, in a way, is an act of sabr. Yeah. Make sense? Okay. Wait, how so? Because you do it day after day after day after day, forever. Right? Yeah. So there's some things you do, like you get a degree... And you keep taking all these classes knowing that, you know, your studies are going to end at some point. Salah doesn't end. So if Allah will free to live 120 years, you're still going to be doing Salah every single day for the next 50, 80, 100 years. But then by saying that, are you kind of saying, like, it's a burden? Well, I mean, I'm saying it's suburb. Suburb is dealing with burdens. Right? Okay. So you want to look at it as something better than a burden. Yeah. Right? But at least it's a burden. Yeah. So basically, Allah's always, for Ayah 48, Allah's always merciful. But like, when does His mercy end? Because it's talking about how like, there's going to be a day mm -hmm. when like, He's not going to accept mm -hmm. like, people's repentance. Is that on the day of judgment? Mm -hmm. and, but like, only on the day of... But then, so, but then like, when the people go to the Prophet, and then like, the Prophet seeks mm -hmm. like, forgiveness, okay. doesn't He still have mercy then? Okay, so there's a couple points here. So who, to whom is Allah speaking in Ayah 48? Is it still Bani Israel? Bani Israel. I have 47, yeah, Bani Israel, right? But, like, isn't he using this as an example? Because, like, Bani Israel, like, they, they're gone. Okay. So, like why, like, why is he talking to them in the Quran if they're gone? Isn't it a sign for us, then? So, so, so read it a couple ways. Uh, who are Bani Israel? They're these particular descendants of Yaqub, right? Yeah. Israel is Yaqub, yeah. right? So, you're being addressed if you feel that Allah is addressing you. So, if it says... 
Ya ayyuhan nabiyu. Is Allah Ta'ala addressing you? No. No, he's not addressing me. Uh, ya nisa'an nabi. Is he addressing you? No. no. he's not addressing me, right? Um, so Ya bani Israel, is he addressing you? No. No, he's not addressing me, okay? But what about the Jews of Medina? Mm. There, they probably felt like they were being addressed. Um, I've asked, I've had students who are rabbis, and I've asked them, you know, who are the children of Israel for you? And I've gotten different answers. Some say they're the original Jews. Some say they're the predecessors of the Jews. So Allah knows best, right? So in Ayah 47, Allah Ta'ala is saying, you know, فَدَّلْتُكُمْ عَلَى الْعَالَمِينَ Okay? Yeah. And I favored you above all the worlds. So in dunya, Bani Israel was given every luxury without earning it. And then Ayah 48 is saying, in Akhirah, you're going to have to earn it. Okay. Right? So Ayah 48 lists four ways where you can get a shortcut, and Allah Ta'ala is saying none of those is going to work, except where he gives permission. Okay. Right? No one can stand in for someone else. No one can do shifa, you know, for someone else. Mm-hmm. No one can ransom their way out. No one's going to receive any help. These are all different ways. In dunya, you can get a shortcut. And Allah Ta'ala is saying, you got dunya without earning it, but you're going to have to earn akhirah. Now, for all of these, there's a principle, um, you can say a principle in terms of commentary, that every ayah might have blank spaces in there, okay? that usually get filled in somewhere else in the Quran. Okay. So even though it says, وَلَا يُقْبَلُ مِنْهَا شَفَاعَ right? So shifa is not going to be accepted, but the blank space would be accept as Allah permits. Because what's the ayah in um, Ayat al-Kursi? Man dhalladhi, what? Illa bi'idhnihi. Right? So all of this would be illa bi'idhnihi, illa bi'idhnihi, so far and so on. Um, okay, ayah 54. Um, can you elaborate when he says, فَقْتُلُوا أَنفُسَكُمْ ذَلِكُمْ خَيْرًا لَكُمْ So here, uh, when we get into the history of, of Bani Israel, uh, you can read it two ways. What do we have in the Quran and then what do we have in the Bible? Okay. So what happened in the Bible is that they were, there were about 600,000 sahabas of Musa, of Musa alayhi salam, right? And because of all these people who decided to uh, uh, worship the calf, they had to be executed. So out of 600,000, something like 100,000 people had to be executed. That's the biblical reading. Okay. In our reading, you can possibly read it that way or... What is it that causes you to go astray? Your nafs. So, so why? you should kill your nafs. Oh. Yeah. Okay. So he's not telling them to like kill themselves. Kill themselves. No. Nah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's possible. That's that's what the Bible says. But I mean, we don't know if the Bible is authentic or not, right? Yeah. But in terms of the relevance for you and me, the point is, what is it that leads me astray? Not shaitan. It's my nafs. Yeah. Shaitan tries. So kill your 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 nafs. Okay. Um, okay, and then skipping to the story of the cow. Yes. Okay, so why? What's the problem with asking questions? Like when can mm-hmm. you keep? When is asking questions too much? Okay, so uh, first to answer your question about asking questions, asking questions is fine. The angels ask questions to Allah. Yeah. You know, you're going to create someone who's going to shed blood. Um, it's fine as long as you're willing to accept the answer. Like, a lot of times people say, why me? Why is this happening to me? Yeah. And if you're not willing to accept the answer, then there's no point asking the question. 
Because maybe the answer is because Allah Ta'ala wants you to grow. That's why he's putting you through suffering. Or maybe the answer is because you did X, Y, Z, so this is why this is happening, mm -hmm. right? Uh, in their case, you can read this two ways. One reason they're asking questions was to get out of this. Okay. Another way, another way to read this is that they were asking questions because they were not disciplined and they just kept asking for more details, making their lives more difficult. Because what was the first instruction? Just, a cow. just slaughter a cow. Okay. Meaning any cow anywhere would have fulfilled it. But then they kept asking for more details. How old? What color? Which one? And so all those questions were getting answered. So the options they had kept decreasing and decreasing and decreasing. Okay. Right? So the thing is just like, okay, let's say you go, you're really hungry and you go to someone's house and then you decide to ask them, okay, is this meat zabiha or halal? What happens if you find out that it's not? You can't eat it. No. Okay. So don't ask questions that'll make your life miserable. Um, in Ayah 81, how, can you explain how a sin can encompass one? Oh yeah, that's a scary thing. So how can, how can a sin encompass me? So let's say I lie on my resume, okay? Mm -hmm. And then I get the job, mm -hmm. okay? So my money for my job is coming because of a lie. But let's say it's like a, a clear lie, not like I massage the information, I just blatantly lied. And now I'm buying things, right? And I'm feeding myself. Mm -hmm. And all this is a result of my sin, right? And a lot of times when you tell a lie, you have to tell more lies to support it. Right? It's easy when you tell the truth because then you just keep telling the truth. But the nature of lies is that you have to keep lying to support your lie. Unless you just come clean and admit it. And so you can reach the point where you get surrounded by it. Your house was purchased on sin. Your food is purchased on sin. So you're surrounded by your sin. So what's the sin that these people are doing? They're making up things about the ayat of Allah. And they were cashing in because of it. Make sense? Yes. Okay, Ayah 88. Um, can you explain when, when they say, like, oh, like, like, are they saying that it's sealed, like their hearts are sealed? Or? It's like our, our uh, wolf is kind of like engulfed. Yeah. So they're basically saying we're too deep into this. So they. So it's kind of like an excuse they're given. They're like, like, have you seen the movie Malcolm X? Did you watch it in my class? No. Okay, so there's a point where, you know, Malcolm X has now become this super, super strict guy, mm -hmm. right? And he meets his friend from prison, okay? Yeah. And the friend from prison says, I can't become no Muslim because I love pork too much and I love white women, mm -hmm. right? So he's basically saying, I have no hope, okay. okay? Even though he knows being Muslim is the right way. So these people are saying, you know, we're too deep in our stuff to get out. Okay. But is that out of, like, out of just like laziness or out of hopelessness? So whether it's laziness or not, it is hopelessness. Because um, they're basically saying Allah's Rahmah is not strong enough for them to get out of their, their you know, whatever they're doing wrong. But like Allah's Rahmah is. Yeah. So why does he continue saying like, like God damn them basically? Yeah. So, I mean, look at the, the language. But, la'nahumullah. May Allah curse them for their kufr. But, like, why, like, 
why doesn't the ayah end with like, no, like it's not too, you're not too deep. You can always repent. I Meaning that's what's understood from it, that um, that this is a nonsense excuse. Okay, so, so okay. Yeah. So like for someone just feel like, okay, they're so deep into a sin that Allah isn't going to forgive them, like does Allah like damn them? Uh, potentially, so they have to be reminded. No, you should keep trying, right? Shaitan, why is he called Iblis? Balasu, the one who has given up and separated himself. Okay. So giving up is not an option in our system. You can never give up on the Rahman of Allah. You also can't assume that Allah's Rahman will be cut off for someone else. Mm-hmm. You have to be very cautious about saying, yeah, that person is going to go to hell because look all the stuff that they do. Maybe Allah's mercy will turn them around. Okay. Yeah, this one I, I had to ask an Arabic professor. And so he was saying, when you're saying ra'ina, it's like you're saying, hey, look at me. Like suppose a parent is punishing their child, mm-hmm. and the parent says, look at me, right? Unzurna okay. is basically kind of like, look at me so I can help you. Look upon me. So when you're speaking, when you're speaking to people in general, and of the Prophet in particular, peace be upon him, don't try to demand his attention. Rather, ask, you know, what can I do for you? And then what? Wasma'u, and listen. Okay. So, so this becomes essentially your instruction how to interact with everyone. And you shouldn't be trying to demand their attention. Rather, offer yourself to uh, give them service and listen. Make sense? Mm-hmm. So, like, isn't mercy supposed to be for everyone? Okay, but is it equal amounts? No. Right. So, like, <clears throat> a, a big reason why people choose kufr is out of jealousy. Why is Allah Ta'ala giving that to him? Why is he helping her? I'm the one who works so much, right? So here it's saying, the kafirs among the Ahl al-Kitab and the Mushriks, they would love that nothing good comes down to you. Okay? Mm-hmm. But if I truly believe Allah can do everything, and He has the authority to do everything, that means, and also if Allah Ta'ala gives to someone else, it doesn't decrease anything He's going to give me. Right? Yeah. Then we're basically saying that, okay, if Allah Ta'ala gives to someone else but not to me, alhamdulillah. And if He gives to me but not to someone else, alhamdulillah. That's a tough uh, level to be at. To really, truly appreciate Allah Ta'ala can give to whomever He wills. Because it's very easy to become jealous. Make sense? Yeah. Okay. Um, 
You would, uh, the way I've been understanding this is that whatever you're doing in service to Allah, it's not going to waste. You're going to see the results with Allah Ta'ala. So, yuqinun, I looked up the translation, it said that, like, um, it's people who are certain in faith. Yeah, yaqeen. So, so why is it saying that, like, oh, we only showed the ayat mm-hmm. the people that have good faith? Like, mm-hmm. should it to be to the people that aren't, like, are also not very strong in faith, so they can have So, So, this ayah is, in a way, almost funny. So you have these people who are saying, why do not ayat come to us from Allah, right? Yeah. And the point is that, and then Allah Ta'ala is saying, okay, people before them said the same thing, okay? Yeah. They're all like, they're all the same as each other. And what is the point? The ayat are literally everywhere. You're just not looking. So is it, we're not looking, we just don't have good faith? So it becomes the same thing, right? Meaning, <clears throat> I could say that this tree... This tree is a sign of Allah, but then I'll say no. It's a sign of evolution and all that stuff. So I'm refusing to see things as signs of Allah. But the signs of Allah are literally everywhere, even within yourself. Okay. So the point is, Allah Ta'ala is always giving you signs. Um, so I guess that leads into like the overall questions at the end yeah. that I had like from the chapter. Mm-hmm. So it's like, what causes people to believe and disbelieve? And like, so... Because, like, you don't have to come from, like, a certain social class or a certain race mm-hmm. or anything. So it's, like, what is the root cause of, like, disbelief? Mm-hmm. And, like, yeah. because it's, like, you know, Allah created everyone with fitra. Mm-hmm. So what's, like, the turning point that causes people to, like, either believe or disbelieve? So there's a couple things. Go back to Ayah 26 and 27, end of 26. Mm-hmm. At the very end of 26, it says, so Allah Ta'ala does not let anyone go astray except for the Fasiqs. And then I 27 defines who the Fasiqs are. So, so the, what makes you a Fasiq? Like, so it's the, the attributes that are listed in Ayah 27. Yeah, so like, so like my question is like, why do some people become Fasiq and some people don't? Mm-hmm. Because like we all have Fitra. And it's not like, oh, the people that were like lived in certain mm-hmm. like conditions became the fossils. It's like it comes from you. Mm-hmm. So does that mean that like Allah created fossils just to be fossils, just to be an example for people? Um, I would say, so everyone's born on fitrah. Yeah. But everyone also has a nafs. Right? So it's like, so the nafs, are some nafs just bad and some good? No, I mean, everyone's nafs is, is doing amara bisu. Yeah. Right? It's commanding you to do wrong. Okay. Right? And so, so for now, 
let's think of a couple scenarios. Generally speaking, you have one family where everyone is pious and upright and genuine, mm -hmm. and they live in a society where everyone is pious and upright and genuine. Mm -hmm. Is it fair to say that people raised in that society will probably be upright? Yeah. yeah. And then you have another society where everyone's corrupt. Mm -hmm. Everyone in the house is corrupt. Everyone in the town is corrupt. Is it fair to say that m most of those people will probably grow up to be corrupt? Yeah. So there are environmental factors. Yeah. Right? And so you have your fitra, and you have your choices that you make because of your fitra or your nafs, and then you have these influences. And so the way things play out is, is you know, every one of us at times will choose wrong. Yeah. Some of us will keep doing wrong. Some of us will ask for forgiveness and stop. Some of us will ask for forgiveness and keep going wrong. And so ultimately, what is the key to misguidance? It's, it's repeated misconduct. Now, the misconduct could be caused by other things. It could be caused by jealousy. It could be caused by impatience. So what, like, I guess what's the distinguishing factor between someone who can control their nafs and one who cannot? Mm -hmm. Is it just they can or like they have stronger willpower? Like what, what is it? It's, uh, uh, I think, uh, a lot of it, like have you seen my most recent chaplain letter yet? Yeah, exactly. Okay. So the last part I talked about taking ownership of your, your situation. You're going to find a lot of people who blame everybody else for their problems. Yeah. And some people who will say, well, this may or may not be my fault, but I'm the only one who can fix it for myself. Mm -hmm. or embracing your responsibility when you do do something wrong. And like, where does that come from? Like that decision like that you... It could be that you were taught, or it could be that it's an insight that Allah Ta'ala put in your mind. So, you know, like we have the teaching that Allah Ta'ala holds your heart like between two fingers. Mm -hmm. That's how it is. So like, then Allah, so basically it comes from Allah whether or not we make a good decision. It can. Bad decision. Meaning, yes, if you're looking at me and my decisions. If you're looking at you and your decisions, you're the one who's deciding. But then if you're looking at me, then Allah's deciding. Yes. So who's deciding? So the point is that it depends on your perspective that you're You're, you're asking, in an objective sense, mm -hmm. who's deciding? And the answer is both you and Allah. Okay? Okay. But from a subjective sense, either you're deciding for yourself, or Allah is deciding for you, depending on what, what lens you want to look through. And... So if Allah's, so can you explain the whole idea of like point of no return? Because like if, yeah. like for example, like the dude that killed a bunch of people and then he went to someone to get mm -hmm. mercy and then he told him that you're yeah, like, doomed. yeah, so he killed him. So it's like, I guess like he killed a hundred people, but Allah gave him mm -hmm. hope or like a point of return. So yeah. when do you reach the point of no, like when do you give up? Yeah, I mean, I think you get, uh, you've reached a point of no return when you have completely given up. Okay. So you have to give up. You're so the one who gives up. That sins you do. So your sins might lead you to give up. So think about, okay, you have no sins in your heart, and you're seeing right and wrong clearly. Mm -hmm. Every time you do a sin, it puts a black dot in your heart, and it's kind of like you, your lens get, gets a little bit obscured. Mm -hmm. To the point your heart gets completely black, and now everything is completely obscured. You know, like you're driving when it's raining, mm -hmm. and so you can barely see. You know something's there, but you can barely see. And so your sense of right and wrong gets completely messed up to the point that it might become upside down. Because your nafs keeps saying, feed me, feed me, feed me, feed me, feed me. Right? And eventually, you're going to run out of ways to feed it in a halal way. So, it's going to call you to haram. Mm -hmm. Or it's going to go from halal to makru, makru to haram. Okay. And so the point is that, what's eventually going to happen, 
is you're going to become upside down as a person. Because it's going to keep saying, feed me, feed me. And it's going to call you, cause you to call you to feed it with that, which is haram. And it's going to reject that, which is halal. So, but like some people that like, you know, they, they'll smoke, they'll do drugs, they'll have like relationships they should not be having. But then eventually you see the people that like flip their life over for like better. Mm-hmm. So like, I guess they... And you also see the opposite too, right? Yeah. So you see the opposite. So it's like, I guess, like... They reach the point of no return bad, but then some people flip over. So yeah, well, I'm saying that wasn't that wasn't a point of no return. They were in a very, very bad, dark place. Um, uh, I think it's very hard to reach a true point of no return, right? Fir'aun, Abu Lahab, right? They reached a point of no return. So is it like arrogance again? Is I mean, a lot of it seems like a combination of arrogance, stubbornness, you know. Think of all the bad traits. Because it's probably fair to say that Abu Lahab may have been an honest person. Right? Mm-hmm. He, uh, what was one of his tragic flaws? He had a very hot temper. And that led to his destruction. Right? That's why he's called Abu Lahab. I thought he was just going to burn him. Mm-hmm. That's why he was called. Like, so he had this red face and this frown, and so it looked like he was always angry. Mm-hmm. And it looked like, you know, he was like burning. Right? Okay. That is it. That is it. Okay, inshallah. Next time we'll continue with Jizu number two. Right, subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadu illa ilaha illa anta nastagfiru kanatubu ilayk wa akhiru da'wana anilhamdulillahi rabbil alamin.